Can't believe it's here already, everybody. It's the 29th ever episode of the West Coast Preps Podcast. I am Chris Jackson, joined here by Gregory Morlinson. And we've got a very great guest on here, one of the best in the business from Miramonte. I probably can't do the introduction right for him. I think it's best if he introduces himself with all the success he's had and now his 34th year as a head coach. So, Coach, introduce yourself and tell the audience about where you're at now. Uh Hi, Chris Labdiotis here at Miramani High School. Uh, my second season at Miramani coming up. And uh, I'm, I'm honored to be your guest today. Thank you guys for considering me to be on a podcast. It's really cool. Um, I'm here to uh, learn from you guys as much as I can and uh, interact with you and learn a little more about West Coast Preps and what you guys are doing. I really enjoy your bi-weekly news, newsletter. Um, it's, it's nice. You give such good exposure to young men and young women. And uh, we know how much kids love seeing stuff written about them and just being acknowledged for doing something extracurricular. It's really cool. So uh, I'm here to answer any questions you have, interact with you guys in any way you want. Um, and Hopefully we can take something away from this today in a very positive way. Certainly. And it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And it's a pleasure to have you as a guest. So it's our honor to have you here today. Yeah, it's definitely been a pleasure working with you so far. We can't wait to continue working with you guys and see you guys out in that court, hopefully really, really, really soon. No, thank you. Yeah, for sure. So just first off, Kind of, I guess, the tough question right off the bat, but how is the offseason going for you guys so far? I know it's different right now, but what are you guys able to do? Well, great question, Chris. So um, we are very fortunate. The Akalani's Unified High School District has four high schools, as you guys know, Campo, Miramani, Akalani's, and Las Lomas. And uh, in, in mid-June, the district granted us the opportunity to do outdoor workouts at our school. And fortunately, we have two pretty nice blacktop courts outside. So we decide, okay, let's, we're, we're going to do everything we can uh, to start improving skills, knowing that the season probably wasn't going to start in November, was probably going to be pushed back. But as you guys know, uh, the CIF had not yet decided on season dates season of sport dates. So for seven weeks, uh, starting, I think, on June 22, we worked out three days a week on the outdoor courts. And we were limited to, uh, if I remember right, a dozen players per court. Uh, the cohorts had to stay the same. So what we did is we did a varsity level cohort, a JV level cohort at the same times, one on one court one or the other. And then we did a freshman cohort for the, uh, the incoming freshmen at a, uh, their own time following our workouts. And what we basically did is we went an hour pretty hard, all skill work and shooting, uh, even on windy days, uh, hard to shoot outside. You guys know that when the wind's blowing. And, uh, and then we'd follow that with a 30 minute uh, conditioning workout up at the track where uh, we put the player in charge of doing the conditioning. They were actually the ones who uh, developed the plan because starting in uh, 
oh, I want to say April, uh, the players had already been given by the coaching staff uh, individual workouts to do. Most of them having baskets at their house, a lot of them having their own weights uh, or access to weights. You know, kids are, are pretty fortunate. They have things that a lot of other kids at some schools don't have. So they had already been doing weights, conditioning, and skill work on their own, but now we were able to do it and start building a sense of team and camaraderie. A uh, lot of fun. Uh, we did that for seven weeks. Uh, that was uh, that took us through the first Saturday in August, and then we took four weeks off because the following Tuesday, school started. So we wanted to give everybody a chance to acclimate back to the school year. Uh, at our school, it's still all distance learning. And uh, after four weeks, we came back uh, right after Labor Day and started outdoor workouts again in September. October 1, the school district allowed us into the gym. So there, here's where things kind of flip for us. And again, I, I got to tell you, we're, we're really lucky because most of my coaching buddies aren't able to do anything with their players right now. Uh, not even see them. So the district allowed us into the gym as long as all players wear masks during the workout. That's hard. All coaches as well. All the gym doors have to be open. And there's a 15-minute buffer between each cohort. So uh, the girls are going, uh, the women's teams, I should say, I'm sorry, going Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Um, and then the men's teams are going Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And then we added for the varsity a Wednesday night session after the women's team. So we're going four days a week. And we still are not allowed to compete. So we can't do any one-on-one, two-on-two. -on -two. So it's hard. We can't really defend. We're trying to teach them defensive concepts, but we're heavily uh, weighing in on, on skill work, um, I'm fortunate to have a tremendous coaching staff. So each coach is going to take a small group or we set up stations, rotate the kids through. We've got a brand new shooting gun that our boosters club bought us. Uh, so we've been breaking that in pretty hard. And uh, we go about an hour and 15 minutes on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and about an hour and a half on Wednesday. Um, we stay extra since we're the last team on on Wednesday nights. I just keep them in the gym if they want to shoot. And a couple of coaches hang back and guys get in extra shooting. So that's what we're doing. And again, we consider ourselves extremely fortunate to be in this spot right now. And you mentioned how difficult it is to teach some of those defensive concepts and you're doing a lot of just skill work. So how are you able to kind of teach and install your defensive concepts just during this time period? So uh, you use chairs. Uh, you use... Uh, these uh, barriers are called skills men. So they're about, uh, you can get them up to about seven feet tall. They, uh, they have a water base. Uh, so they don't move when you hit them and you, you put those around the court and you use them as screeners or as defenders. Uh, like last week we did some two on O pick and roll coverage. So we use two skills men to simulate uh, the ball handler and the screener and how to defend action on the side, on a side ball screen. Um, we've done some dry two-on-o, three-on-o, and four-on-o stuff, just, pardon me, on concepts of moving on the pass, jumping to your gap or a pack line team, 
uh, it's really hard to pressure the ball, but when you put a few chairs out and that, you know, you say, like you simulate pass to my left, that means the next chair to my left just received the ball. So the guy who's supposed to be on that offensive player gets out and pressures the chair. And it's a little bit funky and it's, uh, it's hard because kids will get bored with it if you don't make it fun because it's dry. Dry defense is not a lot of fun. But little things like that we're doing. So starting tomorrow night and then Saturday, we're, we're going to start uh, working on the concept of tagging cutters. And uh, Coach Forslund, one of our assistants, who's one of the best coaches in Northern California, in my opinion, has some really good ideas on how to do this when we can't have contact. But tagging a roller on a pick and roll or defending a Princeton chin cut uh, just things like that. We're going to start working on that and probably throw in about, uh, I'd say 20% of the practice time on that stuff so that um, we keep them engaged, uh, but we don't lose track of the thought that we've got to be a great defensive team to be anywhere near successful this year. You know, you got to start indoctrinating them. I mean, we have, I think, until December 12 to work with them and coach them under. Uh, the auspices of summer by definition of the CIF and then December 12th we're done right can't coach them anymore because summer's done uh, so we're trying to get in as much of that stuff as we can and then you mentioned earlier about the players getting bored at playing dry defense and stuff like that but how are they handling the situation of the season being pushed back and having to do outdoor workouts and then also to the dry defense. How do you see your players handling all of this? Beautifully, real positive. You know, we, we keep, um, we, at every practice, we talk about being grateful and thankful for what we have. We've got a little saying, uh, we make the best we can with what we've got. Uh, we realize that we're able to do more than most others are right now. So they're extremely grateful and they love being in the gym. And their parents love them being in the gym because I think I was talking to Chris when we first <laughs> we first met. Teenage boys in the house all day can drive parents crazy, right? <laughs> for sure. So the parents are extremely grateful for us being able to give them this opportunity. And you run that pack. Oh, there's another there's another drill we do. Let me tell you this one before you move on, Chris. We call it the alley drill. This is great. Um, so uh, one concept in pack line is guard your yard. If you can guard the ball, guard a yard to your right and a yard left and do your job and not get blown by so that the guy in the gap next to you can now be in his position to help you on a drive, you're, you're doing pretty good. So what we do is we got bleachers on both sides of the gym. We set up uh, cones nine feet out from the bleachers and each guy's got to guard his yard. And he's got to go about 15 or 16 feet, you know, simulating like a hard drive for maybe the slot or the wing to the basket and try to stay in front of the ball. And uh, that's a great drill. That was one of our favorite drills last year because it's, it's a one-on-one -on -one drill where the man with the ball is trying to beat you and you've got to beat him to a spot, drop step, cross him, you know, turn his direction. Uh, that's a great drill. So we did it last week for the first time dry and everybody's sitting around clapping their hands and screaming for each guy as he's doing this. 
and it's it just, you know, it's a shuffle drill. Um, rotate your hips, sprint if you get beat, all that stuff. So that's something we've done. And they actually really liked that because it gave everybody energy. They were all screaming for each guy. So I'm sorry, Chris, so I interrupted you. You're all good. But that great actually segue into the next question about that pack line defense. How did that pack line defense come about for you around eight years ago? And how difficult and how do you kind of teach a defense like that? How difficult of a defense is that for opponents to kind of square up against? I know that's kind of a three-part question, but I know we've seen Tony Bennett have a lot of success with that at Virginia, won a national title. And we've seen his father, Dick Bennett, also have a lot of success with that pack line defense as well, obviously working for you guys. Uh, great question. So uh, going into the, I think it was the, I want to say the 2012-13 or 2013-14 season, I think it was the 2012 season. Um, you know, there's when Chris Mack was at Xavier University, he's a pack line guy, and he would send out these newsletters like every week or two, just filled with information. And he started sending stuff out on the pack line and drills and why, why you run it. Um, so I got myself Dick Bennett's, um, I'd say, pack line 101 DVD way back when. And I started studying it and I started reading about it. And I thought, you know, this could be a really good equalizer for teams that aren't um, hugely athletic, uh, or even if they are, it could be a game changer if you're, if you're quite athletic. But we decided uh, rather than, you know, you can't take away everything, right? So you, you can't deny the wing, front the post, Force baseline. I mean, you can't do everything you want to do. Otherwise, if you do, then you might as well be coaching a high-level college team or an NBA squad. But what you can do in high school is find something that fits you. And so we decided as a staff at that point that we could teach the pack line, getting guys to buy into a couple of simple concepts, which is pressuring the ball, staying in your gap. Your gap is your help. Not about the so-called midline. How many times have you heard a player say, well, coach, I was on the helpline. I mean, the helpline doesn't really define where you should be. Not for me, not for pack line defense. So we decided to start studying and teaching. And, and at first it was difficult um, to get the concepts across, but every year we got a little better at it. And I thought last year we got really good at it and it showed I'd say second time through league in January through the playoffs, we became really tough to score on, uh, except for one night. We had we laid a real egg against College Park on their senior night. They, they came out. It was back and forth, but they wound up beating us. We gave up a ton of points. They shot the heck out of the ball. But my point is this. We decided that this could be something we could teach. We could all get on the same page. We've studied it extensively, game film. Uh, DVDs, um, Dick Bennett stuff, Tony Bennett stuff, Chris Mack, um, Sean Miller in Arizona was a pack line guy when he was back at, um, where did he come from? Pittsburgh? Yeah, he was at University of Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. So, and he played at Xavier. So he was a pack line guy too. Um, so anyway, just by studying it and how, how hard it can it be for your opponent, if you, if you can really stop the ball at the nail, and not give up the baseline, you've got a chance to be really good at it. Um, 
you've got to be really good at understanding how to defend screens away from the ball, pin downs away. Uh, we think we are. Um, and you've got to, from my way of thinking, you have to have a solid way to defend a side ball screen and one real solid way to defend a middle ball screen. And then I think you can, by keeping it that simple, you can really teach a team how to be aggressive. And that's what we did last year. And Coach Forslund, as the season went on, really got the players to aggressively attack drivers with the man from the gap. Um, it, it caused a lot of havoc and turnovers and bad passes and uh, disrupted defense. So does that answer the question? Yeah, that definitely does. Yeah. And then the last part of that also was how hard is that to teach to the kids? Is it a difficult concept to get them to buy into? I, I think at the start it was, and maybe because I wasn't completely um, good at teaching it when we first started and didn't understand it as well as I do now. I think now it's fairly simple. Um, so all these coaches who teach it say, tape down your court every day. So uh, during the preseason, we put tape down. So for the, the usual three weeks of preseason before you start playing games, we tape the pack line down. We tape down the post box. We tape down the dunker spot uh, with X's. Um, and, and then we start playing. And we start building up from one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, you know, how to position, uh, how to stunt and recover, uh, how to tag rollers, how to tag cutters. That's really important. Uh, to me, I think currently one of the best guys teaching pack line is Matt Woodley, who has coached at a lot of places. Uh, he was a Bennett assistant at Washington State. Um, he coached the Iowa Energy in the G League for a while. He's got a three DVD set when he was coaching at, I think this place is called Truman College. I don't know where the heck it was. Uh, that's like the Bible of Pacline. It's really good. It's like 180, 200 minutes of stuff. So you study it. And then you keep it really simple because again, you can't do everything, but what you can do is have your philosophy. So what's our philosophy? Uh, contest every shot, uh, no baseline, uh, attack the nail, uh, be in your gap. Okay. I guess those would be five things that you could say, all right, guys, if we can get pretty good at these five things, we'd be a pretty good pack line team. So we've really simplified the teaching and, we do it whole part whole, the whole being at the start of the year, uh, just going through the concept of what we're trying to accomplish. And then you go like the alley drill. Uh, there's a drill that Chris Mack loves called Blackhawk, where you jump to the ball, tag a cutter, close out and defend one-on-one. -on -one. That's a great drill. And you just build it from there. And then every day you do some parts of it and, um, we do shell work, but what we found last year that made us better was doing this stuff five on five, not just four on four. Because when you're trying to, for instance, um, really understand ball screen coverage, what, what the other three guys are supposed to be doing that aren't covering the ball screen, if you've only got two of them out there, you're doing part of it. 
but by putting that third guy out there, now you're really understanding how you're protecting the paint. So for us, bringing in alums from Piedmont High School that played for me for years and have coached me over years um, was a huge benefit. And I've got uh, a couple, I've got, wow, I've got three, four guys who play for me at Piedmont now on our coaching staff at different levels. Um, and a fifth one who's a part-timer and they're going to be available a lot of nights to practice against us. So when we get the defensive stuff, we make them the scout team and our guys really get better because they got to pick up their level of competing. So I think the summary, Greg, is it's become a bit easier to teach it. Uh, if you keep it simple, if you try to teach more than you need to teach for a high school team to be really effective, I think you can get lost in the process. But to me, it's um, it's a it's a fairly simple defense to teach. The hard part is getting kids to talk. All right, girls talk, boys grunt. So <laughs> you really have to prod them to open their mouths and scream. And we got pretty good at that last year. And then more about yourself when we first got on talking about how you've been a coach now 34 years. That's a long time in the business. I know a lot of times people may change careers so many years in, especially in sports and coaching with how difficult it is on a family and stuff like that. What's kept you in coaching for 34 years? And second part of this question, how did the Miramonte job come about? Well, what's kept me in it is uh, the relationships that we build uh, are so important. There's nothing better to me than a former player coming back to coach with us. And I think we're now up to 12 former players have coached or are coaching with us. That to me is, is the best feeling because it, it kind of, it, it kind of feeds your ego. It validates that you must've been doing something okay if your former players want to work with you. So that, that's a great thing, Chris. I think relationship building is what kept me in it. Um, and then 1A would be teaching the game because it, it's, it's really fun to teach. It's, there's nothing better than giving guys stuff to either run or, or to do on defense and then it works. And then you see a smile come to their faces and yeah, that was good. Or man, we really executed the scouting report. So um, being able to teach kids basketball is wonderful. And then the third thing that's really kept it in it, kept me in it is uh, trying to have a growth mindset and trying to learn the game better all the time. And one thing the pandemic has done for us as coaches, hopefully most guys and gals have taken advantage of it, is watching a million webinars that were put on by championship productions um, earlier in the uh, spring. They started putting these things on in late March. Um, and now others have picked up and are putting on webinars. Point Guard College puts up webinars all the time. Um, and then I really got into basketball immersion, Chris Oliver's podcast. He does one every week. His library is up to about 137 now on any topic you can think of. So here's my point. 
the third thing that's kept it in me, kept me in it, is a desire to continue to try to learn more about the game and then teach it and be better at it. And then, how did this Miramonte job come about? Oh yes, sorry, uh, Greg, I forgot that part of the question. No, so, no um, so anyway, last uh, let's see, last July, July of 2019, um, I was uh, sitting at home, and I got a phone call from a friend, Bill Mellis at Salesian, and he says, "Lab." The Miramani job just opened up and I said, how do you know? He said, I just called uh, their coach, Wayne Hunter, to schedule our JV and Frosh game. And he told me he just resigned today. You should apply. And I said, oh, wow, that'd be a great job. And then about 10 minutes later, I got a call from Eric Bamberger, Clayton, former Clayton Valley head coach. Uh, great coach and told me the same thing and he said you should apply he said if I live closer I would apply so I called Wayne to confirm and he encouraged me to apply as well so uh, um, a day later I went on uh, oh what is it uh, where they the public schools post jobs uh, edjoin, edjoin.edu. And I saw the job posting and uh, I saw the contact name was the principal of the school, Miss Parks. I sent her an email. I said, Miss Parks, I see your name on the application process here. I presume you're the person I should send all my paperwork to. And she got right back to me and encouraged me to send in, you know, X, Y, and Z. So I immediately put together my resume, just updated it. Um, I sent her some information on uh, coaching philosophy and program building. And I sent her my letter of interest. And uh, I don't know, a week went by, I got uh, contacted by the school that my interview was set up for, you know, few weeks later. They interviewed in late August. Uh, as I understand it, they interviewed four of us, uh, all good candidates. I spent about an hour with a committee. Um, I answered all their questions and I gave them some printed material. I wanted them to see um, how I had built my program at Piedmont, our program at Piedmont, excuse me. And uh, about a week later, I got a phone call from Ms. Parks and she offered me the job. So that was uh, the latter part of August. And uh, I was stoked because I, you know, you never know if you're going to get a job. I was, look, I, I was at Piedmont for so long that I always thought I'd just leave Piedmont on my own terms and I wasn't able to do that. Um, and then, you know, you get these opportunities like Lowell was great, but the, I told Chris, the commute killed me going all the way out. And I grew up out in the Sunset District in San Francisco, which is on my screen here, Ocean Beach. But every day I had to drive out to, you know, right by Lake Merced. It was great coaching there. It was great coaching the kids. It was fabulous. Don't get me wrong. But coming home every night from Lowell, getting it back across Bay Bridge, killed me. So Miramani opens up and it's like, number one, 
we used to play Miramani all the time when they were D3 and Piedmont, or they were D4 before they moved up to D3. Piedmont was D4. Coach Blackwood was at Miramani, as you guys know, for like 37 years. We played them a lot. We played them in the summer. Um, then when I became varsity coach, they were D3 schools. So what I would do is I'd, I'd take my team out to Miramani some summer nights and we'd just run against them. And they come to Piedmont some summer nights and we'd run against them at Piedmont. And I always thought, man, this is a great school. If I ever got a chance to coach here, that'd be pretty cool. And then it happened. And it's, it really is like a, a dream come true. It's, it's a great place. It's the, the support from the administration's top notch. Our athletic director is a, is the water polo coach there. He's a teacher. He was also a water polo player there. Uh, he gets it. Our administration did it. They really support athletics. Our kids are fabulous. Our parents are really supportive. It's just a good situation. So that's how I got to Miramani. And so you talked about how you showed them how you like to build your program and how you've done it before in the past. And that kind of leads to this next question. How have you been able to be so successful right away at Miramonte? Um, blessed with good players and blessed with dedicated, committed, fabulous coaches on all three levels. Uh, we were allowed, you know, we got everybody on the same page. Like as soon as I got the job, Right, it's the end of August. So the day after I got hired, the principal had me meet with all returning players one day right after school in a classroom. And I spent an hour with them, not just not just telling them who I was, but asking them questions about who they were and what they wanted to be. And really listening to what the kids had to say. And that was the first moment where I wanted to really build trust. And I was very vulnerable when I talked to them. I talked to them about my past, about uh, why I left Piedmont, uh, and how that all shook out. Because I said, hey, you guys are all going to Google me anyway, so you might as well hear from me. Here, here's what happened. And we talked about it, and they asked me some questions. We started open gyms, like, the next week, right after Labor Day. We got in the weight room two nights a week, went up to the track, did open gym. We identified leaders pretty quickly. Uh, the players identified the leaders pretty quickly. I could tell the first moment I met them who they were. And they started running the weight room with our observation. Uh, they started running the open gyms. And we just got to work. And so I think the short answer to the question, Greg, I want to say would be we built trust from the get-go by being real open and honest in our communication. And not only that, inviting them to tell us what they wanted us to know about them. Because, you know, I had a class of six seniors last year, and they could have just said, uh, new coaching staff, senior year, screw these guys, man, what do they know? But, man, the leadership in that senior class, not just the captains, but the entire senior class, enthusiastic, honest, accountable, push the players while pushing themselves. When they fell short, they let everybody know they fell short. Holy cow. It was just kind of an ideal and unique situation in my experience. That doesn't happen all the time. And I think now 
that the, that class of seniors has passed down to all the current kids what it means to play Miramani Matador basketball for our staff. So it, we see from June to now, we've seen really positive signs of that enthusiasm um, continuing to build. And something in there too, I know you mentioned last time we spoke was about just that team first culture you guys have. I know that's a big foundational piece for you. Right away, you had that success with your kids just being so team oriented, team first. Like you said, a senior class could have easily just been like, no, screw this. This is our last year. We don't really need this new coach. But what does yeah. that say about the kids' character? And why do you think that they were so selfless and just had that team first attitude right from the jump with you guys? Well, that's a great question, Chris. I want to say it's because that, that was their makeup. Um, and so they've probably been in an environment through their lives where they've had to work hard and hold themselves to high standards. Um, and fortunately, our captains were just like, they were on it. Um, so building culture to me, you know, that, that one thing I learned from all these webinars this summer, I've watched almost 200 of them now, you guys, culture is an overused word. We all know that. Uh, and I've talked to coach Alaco, Frank, Frank senior about this in the past. Uh, it can be a real overused word. It can almost become trite, but to me, uh, you don't have to use the word culture to make sure your kids understand what you're building. How about this is our environment? How about when we start practice, we are fired up. And when we end practice, we are all together and we're slapping hands. Now it's all elbows. Um, and anything in between is, is you know, we're from drill to drill. We're teaching each other. Uh, seniors. I always say the upperclassmen, here, here's an ideal world, you guys. The head coach teaches the assistants. The assistant coaches teach the upperclassmen. The upperclassmen teach the underclassmen. If you can get that, and I'm seeing it right now, where we only got two seniors. They are really willing to show the kids, the other kids, what work means and what having fun while working. So culture is huge. Uh, it's really important and it, it can't be phony. It cannot be phony. Like everybody's got to consistently live what it is, whether it's, you know, screaming and hooting, hollering, uh, whether it's uh, being there for one another, slap on the back. Uh, I saw the other day a great thing. We got a new kid at school, hasn't played a lot of hoop. And he was just messing up a, a full court passing drill last week. And uh, one of the seniors took him aside and, and really nicely, almost silently explained what we were trying to do, slapped him on the butt, put him back out there and corrected his mistakes. None of us coaches had to do it. That to me was like, that's being a great teammate, right? So that's one of our non-negotiables is be a great teammate. One of our non-negotiables is no bad, bad body language. That goes for the coaches. That's hard. It's hard to do as a coach. And the last thing is compete at everything. And that's kind of open. And But I think you guys know if somebody's competing or if they're not. More importantly, the players do. 
to, to us, we chose those three things last year as our non-negotiables. Coaching staff chose those. Players get to choose the standards to which they must adhere. The coaches have the non-negotiables. That's going to lay a great foundation whether you're going to be successful or not if, if the guys are willing to live those things. Definitely. And then let's go into some questions that we've kind of asked all of our guests so far. This one always sparks some debate. First one we've got for you, Coach. Favorite home-cooked meal? Favorite home-cooked meal? Yes, sir. Oh, brother. Okay. My wife's Greek-style lamb chops, Ooh. roasted Greek-style potatoes, and a huge Greek village salad. Favorite meal? Wow. Okay. That is that's like something that. different. We have not had that sort of answer yet. That sounds really good, though. I don't know if I've ever had um, that, though, honestly. I haven't. I haven't. Good, though. Well, you guys, okay, I'll tell you what. When the pandemic's over, we're going to figure out a way for you to have some lamb chops, medium rare, Greek style. Okay. Um, nothing better. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say no to that one. That sounds good. So. I'm not doing that one. <laughs> <laughs> And then the second fun question that we have is who is your favorite athlete growing up and who's your favorite athlete currently right now? Willie Mays, hands down, number 24, the greatest player of all time. Uh, if you haven't read it yet, read the book 24 by Willie Mays with John Shea of the Chronicle. I'm almost done with it. 24 chapters, every one of them is a story for instance, a story about the catch in the World Series, whole chapter dedicated to that, what it meant. Um, a story on the Juan Marichal, John Roseboro brawl at Candlestick Park in 1965 when Marichal smacked him in the head with a bat. There's, I'm telling you, Willie Mays to me, fellas, if every athlete played his sport or her sport like Mays did with enthusiasm, professionalism, never showing up your opponent, sports would be better. That's my guy. Um, favorite current athlete, Steph Curry. For, Perfect. He is, uh, what is his, uh, what is his under-recruited? Is that what his, um, uh, his, his camp he started for 30 kids? Is it unrecruited or under-recruited? I think underrated, right? Yeah. Underrated? Yeah. Okay. So Curry, Davidson offers them. Really nobody else does. Okay. Five straight finals, two MVPs, three-time champ, six foot three, and it's a legit six foot three. I've stood next to him running some of his camps, and I'm installing him. Uh, but more importantly about Curry, not just who he is on the court, what he stands for as a person. He speaks his truth. He is political. He cares. He makes everybody around him better. That, that's, that's my current guy. Yeah. I have a Willie Mays jersey, and I got the Steph Curry jersey hanging up here. By far two of my favorite players ever, and I totally agree with you on Steph Curry. And also, I am taller than Steph Curry because I got to walk by him a few times as well. So that's I, great. I, and I, I see the jersey. Yes. But Greg, what do you think about <laughs> Willie Mays being the best player ever? Because you've always said Barry Bonds. What do you? What do you I, think about Willie? Mays? Well, I'm biased because Barry Bonds is the one that got me into baseball and into sports. So, 
I'm a little biased there, but I got both their jerseys. I love both of them. Yeah, you know, Barry, Barry became the best hitter in the majors. You can say what you want about substance abuse. Uh, I don't think it helped his hand-eye coordination very much. Um, he's an unbelievable hitter. Unbelievable yeah. hitter. So um, contact. Yeah, so he, he's in the mix. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a guy get intentionally walked with the bases loaded. No. Yeah, and Buck Showalter's told a whole story or written a whole story about that that uh, at bat. He was a manager. Yeah, it's crazy. Worked out for him. They won the game, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then last one we got for you, kind of a three-parter: favorite book, favorite movie, and favorite TV show. Okay. Favorite book. Um, I'm going to go with Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers. The story of how anybody who spends 10,000 hours doing something can master that subject, whatever it is. That, to me, is a compelling human story. Uh, it should be an inspiration for anyone and everyone. Favorite movie? Oh, man. So there's a couple up there. But, you know, I always come back to this. I loved The Sting. I loved Newman and Redford. I thought how they got over on everybody in that movie was fabulous. Um, and, you know, The Signal, little touch of the nose when The Sting was on, that was great. I loved that movie. Um, now... Oh, favorite, last one? Uh, TV show. Oh, favorite TV show. Okay. So to me, uh, it's got to be MASH. Okay. And MASH was so well acted. Um, it had such a great humanistic approach to the, to the show. And it really brought, um, to me as a young guy, it brought war home to me, what, what it must have been like. I mean, I was fortunate. I didn't get drafted. Uh, don't know what I would have done if I did get drafted. But uh, to me, MASH, that's like at the top of my all-time TV shows. Um, just, it just had everything. It had everything for it. And, you know, one time I ran into uh, the guy who played Colonel Potter, Harry Morgan. And I was in the Transamerica Pyramid in San Francisco, walking to the elevator on business. And I turned a corner and there he was standing there. And I said, Colonel Potter. And he just almost dropped his and started laughing. And I had a little conversation with Harry Morgan, Colonel Potter about that show. Maybe that's why it became a favorite. Yeah, that's awesome. Great answers. Unique answers, too. I love it. Right. Definitely. I'm looking forward to the spoon soon. It's great. We've got a lot of meals planned from guests so far. This is good. Definitely I like this time. question because everyone always invites us to go get some food. So Yeah, that's why. That's yeah, there why you go. That's why I keep asking this question. The more free food, the better it is for all of us. But yes, yeah. sir. Thanks to Coach for coming on. One of the best of in business. One of the most genuine people in the business as well. So thanks so much to Miramonte's basketball coach from coming on. But that'll wrap it up for the 29th ever edition of the West Coast Preps podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube page. Follow us on social media at West Coast Preps underscore and follow all of our work at westcoastpreps.com. I'm gone. I'm gone.
so long. I'm gone, yeah.